0: Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Moss, your host of Task Force X. What, are we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupferberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is, while Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title in all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. (laughs) You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho. I hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them, oh, so many years ago. Mother. That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go ahead and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. And welcome back to Task Force X, episode 32. This month, we're going to cover Checkmate number 10 and Suicide Squad number 21. And as usual, we're going to start off with Checkmate. This time, as I just said, we're going to be looking at issue number 10. The cover date was winter of 1988, but the actual on-sale date was September the 13th of 1988. The cover price is $1.25. September the 13th, 1988. That was the year I started college at Merced Junior College. Hmm. Uh, the title of this was Funny Money Part Two, written by Paul Kupperberg, penciled by John Stet- Emma Stedema. Stet- Sorry if I'm messing that up, John. Uh, inker was Alvey, Letter was Helen Vesek, colorist Juliana Freder, and editor Jonathan Pearson. And the synopsis. Once again, this comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics because I get a bit lazy, and well, Mike does a great job. Claymore, a member of the Game of Counterfeiters, has tracked a Checkmate Knight back to Koning Industries. To gather more information, Claymore kidnaps pawn Renee Rockwell when she is leaving the facility. He tortures and kills her for information. Claymore then leads a strike against Checkmate Headquarters. He holds Harvey Bullock at gunpoint and demands that the masked man be brought out. Gary Washington fights him and rescues Bullock. Meanwhile, Knight Roger Dayton has infiltrated the gang of counterfeiters. He's able to recover stolen printing plates, take possession of the counterfeit currency, and capture the gang. Now, as usual, my thoughts on this issue. As I always do, we will start with the cover. (coughs) The cover we see... Oh, what's his name? My mind's blanking out. (coughs) Claymore, holding a rifle up to someone's head. Uh, behind him is a shattered wall. In front of him we see a couple of, uh, f- what, four, five, four guys with guns pointed at him. In behind him comes leaping a knight. I've said this before, in fact probably almost every episode, I'll say it again. I love the armor design of these knights. <laughs> Whoever was that finally did this, it was a great choice. It's fantastic work. I love this. Uh, on this, like I say we have the knight jumping in, about ready to grab on Claymore. My only qualm problem issue with this well issue is the way that Claymore's holding that gun. He's got a uh, a guy by the neck. Oh maybe it's supposed to be Harry. Uh, maybe it's supposed to be Harvey. I think in the comic it's Harvey. Don't look like quite don't quite look like Harvey here, but but his him but in his hand, he's holding his rifle, and he's holding it. You have to see the cover. I may, if I don't forget, I'll post this on the uh, on the website at TaskForceX.HeadSpeaks.com. But the way he's holding the gun, to me, it looks like when he, if he was to fire it, it may blow his hand off or fly out of his hand. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a weapons guy. If any of my listeners out there are into weapons and are familiar with weapons, let me know. Could he conceivably hold the gun that way and use it properly? <laughs> properly in quotes. Uh, other than that, again, it's a great cover. I mean, I can't really complain about it. I enjoyed this cover. Speaking of this cover, I forgot to notate earlier that the, car, uh, the cover artist, once again, Gil Kane. Great job, Gil. Again, except for maybe that minor quibble with the uh, gun, but Listeners out there, take a look at this issue. Is that possible? Moving on to the story, uh, I covered all this synopsis, briefly covering it here. Again, we get got this hot chick leaving Koning Industries in her uh, Again, I'm not a car guy, uh, I know what cars I like. I like this car, it's convertible, I like convertibles, uh, and I like how she notices it. You know, again, she's a pawn, literally. But, <laughs> again, she kind of may look like a ditzy female. No offense to my female listeners out there, but uh, she does notice that she's picked up a tail. And again, she pieces out pretty quickly that either, A, it's someone looking for an opportunity to take advantage of this beautiful young lady. Or it's some of this checking out checkmate. And I like <laughs> her comments here. Uh, she says basically the same thing I just said. They must have picked me up when I left Koning. Which means they know about Checkmate, or it's just a coincidence, maybe some pervert who picked me at random. Talk about lousy choices. And again, she heads off to try to get him into a secluded area. Pulls out her gun, shoots her car, which causes him to crash. And most people will have taken him out. But as we saw last issue, uh, Claymore is a pretty tough character. He crashes his car into a tree, opens his door and throws a grenade out that knocks the young lady out and then we cut to where she's tied up in a, a abandoned building somewhere and Claymore with his destroyed jackets telling her, you know, wake up, I know you're faking, you've been awake for a while and they have a little talk and as i said before and I'll say it again uh, not just because I've had him on the show but Paul Kupferberg does a fantastic job with the dialogue here Again, they're having this little talk back and forth. He's like, uh, All you gotta worry about is telling me the truth when I ask you my questions, or else I'll make you hurt real bad. Make you wish you were dead. You work in that coding place where the masked man went. I want him. You're gonna tell me how I can get him. Masked man, I don't know what you're... I meant what I said, girly. As he whaps her side of the head. Let's try it again. The masked man. And she's just, again... This is a checkmate operator, she's a, and she may just be a pawn. But checkmate doesn't pick people willy nilly. They pick people that have guts that can can handle their own. And she's all drop dead, dirtbag. Lady, if anybody's gonna die, it's gonna be you. And he slaps her so hard and knocks the chair she's in over on the floor. Pretty soon you'll be begging for it. And then we cut away to our knights. Who's again infiltrating the counterfeiting ring? I mean, not much to say here. I mean, I am enjoying Paul's doing a great job with the the uh, writing on this. Uh, John, uh, I'm not even try to pronounce his last name again. John's doing a great job with the penciling. Alve does a great job of inks. Uh, again, there's not much to say about here. The night they bust in again, they have the checkmate. Pawns or knights? Or These aren't knights. or pawns or FBI guys? Whoever they are, busting in to keep his roll up. Roger, you know, he begins firing back at the the FBI guys that comes busting in the room, and he's like telling the other guy, "Come on, you waiting for an engraved invitation or something?" As they come running out, we see that was it, Roger was shooting the uh, agents with blanks. And all right, let's go to the small talk and move out. Standard operating procedures, no traces, we're ever here. (laughs) So again, I like the fact that Checkmate, they go for these long cons and the Knights, they bet themselves in these deadly situations. And uh, again, it's just, Paul does a great job in the writing on this. Uh, The art is more of a realistic. Like I said, I I like the four-color superheroes for the most part. Just League, Superman, Batman, the whole four-color, the the dynamic-looking superheroes. But the other titles have their own look, and I like that DC had these different looks. I mean, Suicide Squad, as I talk about and I'll talk about later, has a darker, more gritty look. And for Suicide Squad, that's fitting because it's a darker, grittier book, if you will. Checkmate... (sighs) It's in the same vein as Suicide Squad. It is a darker, more, again, realistic book. And it is a little darker than your average superhero, but the characters in here look a little more realistic, I'm gonna say. I know I've said before I hate using the word realistic when dealing with comics, but the characters are drawn in here in a very realistic manner. I mean, yes, they're comic book characters, but again, I I love the artwork on this book. It's very fitting for the style. The next thing we talk about is we get back to Claymore and uh, he's he's standing there with his gun in his hand somewhere else in the city. Who's there? Burton. Burton who? This ain't no damn joke. Open up. Things are starting to heat up. We need you now. He's all, forget you, pal. (laughs) I got things to take care of. Like a squirrel's ghost, some costume freak. And I like the fact that we'll find out more a bit later. But he doesn't realize that the Checkmate Knights, there's a bunch of them. He thinks this is like Batman or uh, Wildcat or the Atom. Just someone wearing a costume, one person that's this knight, this this costume person he fights. He doesn't realize that there's a whole string of them, which is going to come to play later on. <laughs> and again, Bert you Neo know, tells him that we need you to come along. And Claymore's... And again, whenever I do his voice, I do very a very dopey, very... hello George, type of voice. And because that's kind of how Claymore comes across to me. Uh, Burton tells him that we need you, and he's like, I, gotta, yeah, he's, I gotta, he's got a one-track mind. All he's concerned about now is taking out the night that, that busted up his operation, that made a fool of him. And again... Uh, Burton tells him, "You know, you have to come with us. We've paid you." And Claymore pulls his money out and throws it back at him. "Here's a refund. Now get out of here!" And Burton pulls his gun on Claymore. And he's like, "You psychotic Hulk! You're nothing more than a loose cannon, or a loose end uh, that we can't afford." Burton, you should have left when you had the chance. As he pulls the gun out quicker and shoots Burton, it doesn't make a mess with it. It doesn't pay to mess with the psychotics. <laughs> Again, I love the dialogue that Copperberg uh, does in this book. <laughs> Burton calls him a psychopath. So Claymore shoots him and says, Hey, you shouldn't mess with a psychopath, man. And then we get back to Coning Industries, where Harry and Harvey and them were talking about, apparently they found Renee's body, they found her car, and they kind of pieced together that apparently she was kidnapped or taken, beaten severely, and so they're kind of afraid that she may have talked, even though, again, as I said earlier, uh, the pawns they have aren't pushovers. As much torture she endured, apparently they're afraid she may have talked, so I got to figure out what they're going to do about their, their security. And then we get a little more of our knight, uh, Roger, continuing to infiltrate the, conspira- the uh, counterfeiting ring. Again, not much to say about that. But I'm going to comment here on page 11, page 12. We see our buddy Claymore. He's in a helicopter and he's having his guys attack Coding Industries. As he pulls his gun out and he just starts laying waste to the building. And I like here on the bottom of page 12 where he's firing to the building. And again, it's kind of a mass of images here. We see part of the building exploding. We see people flying around. And here at the bottom of page 12, uh, maybe it's the way I'm looking at it. We see one of these guys being cut in half like a hose or something like that. It's just a really great scene. You see people slumped over their council, looks like he's probably dead. It's just a great art scene here of destruction and people dying. And again we see Claymore jumping out of the helicopter. And again, he's like, Get lost, pal. You're finished here. And as soon as Claymore jumps out, uh, the checkmate finally pulls their big gun out, and they blow the helicopter out of the sky. But again, Claymore, he just starts blasting into the building. Where is he? Send up the masked man now. And Bullock and some of the other guards rush, and some of the guards rush down there. And again, Claymore's just rushing the building, shooting everybody. You wasting your time's full? I'll rip this place apart. I'll find my man. And Bullock comes behind him. He ain't seen me. He can't be bulletproof. As he shoots... uh, He shoots at Claymore. It looks like he hits the uh, to ground in front of... Or behind uh, Claymore's feet. I think Bullock needs to go back and do some more practicing at the... Uh, rifle range. <laughs> because... It, and again... They're, Bullock's not a field agent. Again, he's an ex-cop from Gotham. He used to be in Batman. So maybe he's not used to shoot the killing. But again, as we saw last issue, Claymore can take some abuse. Again, Claymore just turned around. He's like, You shooting me, pal? And he shoots at Harvey and hits him in the leg. Up, oh, fat boy. I need a guide. You're it. And then here at the bottom of page 14, 15, we see our buddy Roger... Uh, Walking out with one of the counterfeiters, they drive off, and uh, Roger's like, said so I helped you. What am I getting some my payoff? And the counterfeiter guy pulls the gun out, I've got a ride here. And again, a checkmate night. Roger's quick on his feet. He swerves into traffic, uses his elbow, and knocks the, uh, the counterfeiter out. And here at the bottom of the page, I think it's 14, again, we see Roger suited up in his night costume. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I love the way these night costumes look. <laughs> so he sneaks in in his night costume into the counterfeiter's uh, trailer. Again, it looks like they're trailers they're using. Knocks out someone that has to go to the bathroom. And again, he throws a grenade out and starts blasting at these counterfeiters. Uh, slides around. And again, I think, I'm telling you, checkmate. DC needs to do a checkmate movie. Or a TV series, that'd be good too. Uh, these night, these costumes, I think, would look good on screen. These guys, telescoping staffs, he uses a pole vault around. blast. This is being awesome. I mean, if you, you if you enjoy Mission Impossible or any of these other shoot 'em up movies, I I swear, Checkmate would be a great movie, or again, a TV series. DC DC. Uh, the WB's got a bunch of... or Actually, I guess it's CW now. The CW's got a bunch of DC shows already. I don't know how they would do a Checkmate. Again, it's not a Pretty Boy, Teeny bopper show. Which is mostly what CW does, but... Someone needs to do a Checkmate series. I think that'd be great. And then again, we kind of lose the page count again. But we get back to Coding Industries, where we see uh, Claymore... Again, and as I said earlier on the cover, he's got Harvey held captive. And here he's holding the gun more properly, I think. He has better control over it than he does on the cover. But he's like, you know, bring out the. What does he say? We cut him mid sentence. He's like, Rob, will this fat turd's brains all over the wall? On through talking. Bring me the masked man or fat boy dies. And again, as they're talking, they're like, uh, where is that at here? Okay, at the bottom of this page, um, um, bring who, sir. Which knight is he talking about? And Harry's like, what difference does it make? One guy's a mask is good as another to this loon. Just go. And again, as I talked about earlier, Claymore doesn't realize that the knights are a bunch of different guys and women in suits. He thinks it's just a, an average superhero, one guy in a costume. So again, so they, I, I believe it was Roger, our counterfeiter guy, that's uh, fought him earlier, which is a white guy. Again, this idiot doesn't know. So they bring in, I think his name's Gary Washington, the, the Black Knight. They dress him up and have him come out and fight him. Uh, while that's going on, we cut back to. Roger uh, fighting through all the the uh, counterfeiters. And again, I love this panel here. Again, the pages aren't numbered. I've lost track. It's right after uh, one of the guys goes off to find another knight to fight Claymore. Uh, the knight's surrounded by goons. He throws a, looks like a disc almost, or a uh, piece of metal rectangle. It explodes, and then here, this middle of the panel, it's just like all hell's breaking loose. We see people shooting, money flying all over, a car breaking through a wall, probably. Okay, yeah, the gun, the car, and again, it's just a mass of chaos going on. And the van breaking through the wall is our checkmate pawns, the FBI guys, whoever they are, uh, busting in. And again, something I forgot to mention earlier, I zoomed right by at this time when our night was infiltrating the counterfeiters uh, the, some of the pawns were listening to him on a headset and I, the first time I read this again I forgot to mention it this time through uh, they were wondering you know, the pawns were listening to him talk and I was wondering how he got the the okay. communicator in so people could hear him Because again, it seems like these counterfeiters know what they're doing. It seems like they would have frisked him. Apparently, he swallowed the communicator, and so they're listening to him. It's again, it's a checkmate communicator. It's really good. They can still hear him even though it's in his body. And so the checkmate knight's like, "You guys are early." He's like, "We were monitoring the action over your uh, intestinal bug." So like you use some help. Not to mention a bromo. <laughs> in fact, I'm gonna jump back to the beginning of the story here. Again, I overlooked this page earlier because again it's part of the pawns listening in on Roger dealing with the uh, counterfeiters. And let me see here, because yeah, I was wondering, well, how did <sighs> these are stupid counterfeiters, they didn't frisk the guy. Apparently they might have, because again the ponds are talk to- the pawns are talking and one of them's like, Yep, the buggy's carrying is coming loud and clear. I'm patching the audio through to Rook Control, but alert the rest of the team to stand by. Another guy's like, I know it's dangerous for the Knights to carry any kind of conventional bug, but swung the thing? Yuck. <laughs> the reason I went back to this page, he's like, and this was right before Claymore shows up in the helicopter to attack Cunning Industries. Another pawn's pond, the like, well, I just want to be on monitor duty when he... Disposes of it (laughs) because again, apparently swallowed the communicator, and it's going to come out the other end at some point. (laughs) Uh, Again, I love that aspect. Like I, as I said, I was wondering how he got the bug into it. You know, was able to bug him. That's how he he swallowed the damn thing. (laughs) And again, here at the end of this uh, fight, again, these pages aren't numbered. I hate when the pages aren't numbered. Looks like maybe page nineteen or so. They've busted up the counterfeiter ring, they've got the plates, the funny money. And the knight's thinking to himself, a job well done, if I do say so myself. Wouldn't have been half as easy if they'd had that train gorilla I went up against last time on hand. Wonder what happened to him. Speaking of which we cut over and we see the train gorilla, in quotes, beating on a check paint knight, which he thinks is Roger, who's actually Gary Washington, because, again, at that night, uh, the costume, unless you get a good peek-hole through that mask, you don't know who you're fighting. And, again, we did a page or so here, a fight fight between Nighty-Night and Claymore. And, uh, again, Claymore is just... I love Claymore. I don't think we see more of him after this issue. But he gets knocked down. he's like, you're good, Masked Man. But that's not going to stop me from killing you. And he comes running up and he just socks him. And again, a little more fight, fight. And Claymore, again, he's a big gorilla. He doesn't know, you know, he's getting the crap beat out of him. And uh, <laughs> like the carries the Knights like, You're history, pal. I'm setting you down. And <laughs> bullet comes up behind him. Uh, excuse me. This is for all the fat boy cracks, you stupid ape, and just socks them. Gary's like, Hmm, looks to me like his brain's too dim to get the message, his body's finished. And all of a sudden, Claymore falls to the ground message received. <laughs> they high five, congratulate each other, and Gary takes his mask off. And this, we see who it is it's Gary Washington. He takes you know, he's got a black guy standing here, and <laughs> I like this. Is he takes his mask off? he's talking to Harry and Bullock and uh, Gary's like anyway, next time you need somebody to take out Godzilla just remember, I've already done my bit okay partner well keep that in mind Mr. Washington and thanks for stepping in as they take Harvey off to get the bullet out of his leg <laughs> Harry's like by the way Harvey, you did all right right back there yourself and Harvey's like hey Harry, what do you think of the chance of me getting fitted for a night Uniform. And Harry's like, <laughs> pitch your snowball in hell, my friend. The flames arise. And then we get our next month. Checkmate invades London. And invades in big bold red letters. And I'm pretty sure this is the invasion issue. Um, if so, I'm pretty sure it is. But invasion, again, it just touched here briefly, so I didn't cover it. But over on my Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour podcast again, they were a little more involved. I briefly covered the three issues of the series. I covered the Manhunter and the Starman issues that were involved. I covered the Flash issues that were involved. Not much more. If you want more detailed information on the invasion check out Friends of the Show Sisquoid and Boss. They have a Uh, what's called First Strike, the Invasion podcast, where they're covering each issue that ties into the series. They cover the series. I'm listening. It's a great show. I'm talking about another show at this point, so that means I'm done with this issue. I've got to say, Paul, you're doing a great job. Oops, you're doing a great job. You did a great job in the series. I love it. That's why I'm talking about it. The art's always fantastic on it. For the most part. But overall, I'm loving it. So again, uh, give me just a minute. I'm going to play some promos. You'll probably hear something about Invasion. Uh, and then we'll be right back with Suicide Squad. We'll be back with much more fun. Now don't you change that channel, son. Stop and listen. Stop and listen to me. Listen. Listen. November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Danegarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal drop dead. First Strike: The Invasion Podcast takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Ciscoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike: The Invasion Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Albert. heard on the who's who podcast being said by the irredeemable shag for me because you know she's a crazy hot raging woman and now i can't not see that but if you want more on her check out the from crisis to crisis podcast and also someone for the love of god start a will payton blog please um just saying all right all right shag you don't have to beg well huh, that could be nice anyways here you go shag just for you monthly the star man adventure Out. Adventure. Wait a minute. Uh, I like Starman and all, but I don't know if I can talk for an entire hour about Will Payton. Huh, I know. I'll include another great 80s character I love, Mark Shaw Manhunter. The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Available monthly on iTunes and at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. Also part of the Headcast Network. Come join the fun. the classics she knows every line breakfast club pretty and pink Beginning in 2018, the Who's Who podcast enters the 1990s with our coverage of the Loose Leaf Editions. Featuring Superman by Jerry Ordway. The Joker by Brian Bolland. Wonder Woman by George Perez. Sandman by Mike Dringenberg. Batman by Norm Brayfogle. The JLI by Adam Hughes. Eclipso by Bart Sears. The Legion of Superheroes by Keith Giffen. Dark Stars by Travis Charest. Lobo by Simon Bisley. Kent Shakespeare by Chris Spratt. Who is that? Doomsday by Tom Grummet. Wait, are we covering these by issue or in alphabetical order? The Justice Society of America by Mike Parabek. The Forever People again? You are f***ing kidding me. Doom Patrol by Richard Case. (sighs) I'm so confused. And many more. The Who's Who podcast, going boldly into the 90s. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I guess. We are green from head to toe, now we go back to the show. Go ahead and check them out. The great shows, one and all. But now on to Suicide Squad 21. The cover date on this was just 1988. No month, just 1988 in general. But the actual on-sale date was October the 4th of 1988. The cover price was $1. The editor on this was Robert Greenberger. The title of this story was called Rogues. I said this story because this issue has two different stories in this. It contains what's called Bonus Book Number 10. And we'll get to that in just a little bit here. But for now, for the story of rogues, which is the main story, this was written, as usual, by our wonderful John Oshender, penciled by the fabulous Luke McDonald, inked by Carl Kiesel, letter was Todd Klein, colorist Carl Gafford, and the cover credits was done by, of course, Luke McDonald and Carl Kiesel. Uh, the synopsis on this one, which again I pulled from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Thanks, Mike. Amanda Waller meets Tolliver. Uh, this is my own personal notes on here. Uh, you guys remember Tolliver, don't you? He's the guy that's been blackmailing Amanda for the last couple of uh, issues. She blackmails him into ending his threats to expose the Suicide Squad. She then returns to Rev, where June Moon shoots Eve Eden. Eve survives, but just before she enters surgery, she tells Waller that Rick Flagg has left on a personal mission. The mission takes flag to Washington, where he confronts and murders Tolliver. Dun, dun, dun! And then as usual, we'll go into my thoughts on this, we'll start where we always start with the cover. The cover of this, we show Nightshade in her newer costume, the black bodysuit with the uh, purple arm and leggings, the black fingerless gloves and she's in the background in the foreground we see a hand holding a gun and there's a light at the end of the gun like someone's shooting her oddly enough <laughs> uh, we don't see the bullet we, she's not hit yet but she's leaning back like she's about ready to be hit uh, at the top it says suicide squad and has the title rogues i mentioned there's a bonus book on this cover i'm looking at there's no indication that there's a bonus book in this issue um, I've got to pull mine out and see if I have this issue still and if it actually has it on the actual issue. I'm looking at a digital scan. But, again, it's a nice cover. Uh, it's one, When I think about Suicide Squad, I do remember this one. Uh, I, I really like it, maybe because Nightshade's hot. But, we, again, we, from there, we can tell what's going to happen inside the issue. Nightshade's going to get shot. We have no clue at this point who's pulling the trigger just from the cover. Uh, I do like in the background... We have like a light blue background, and on the uh, right-hand side of the page, where the, behind the shooter's hand, we see the prison bars to let you know where this takes place in Rev uh, or other some sort of prison, but since we deal with Rev all the time, you know where it's at. That's a very nice cover. I really like this one. Uh, moving on to the story itself. The first page, it's, it's a splash page. That's title along the top, Rogues. We see the Capitol building in the background. In the front, we see a handful of people. Uh, there's two, four, seven people in front. Just a couple guys sitting against a fence. An older uh, lady off to the side. Uh, two, three guys just walking along, looking around. In the background, we see a couple guys, maybe a security guard. Back by the Capitol building, we have a handful of people just standing around. You can't make them out, but just black figures. But again, I mean, there's nothing going on on this page. It just gives us, you know, where we're at. Washington, D.C. in case you didn't tell, from the Capitol building. Monday, November the 7th, 1988, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. And again, it kind of sets it in a place in history. It actually dates it. Personally, I like when those stories take, you know, it gives you dates and you have time frames. But overall, I say there's nothing impressive about this page. But having said that, I really do like the way that uh, Luke McDonald and the colorist uh, Carl Gafford designed this page. I don't know how much of this was John saying what he wanted on it. Or if it was just John saying, hey, let's put the capabilities people in front. Do it. And Luke did, did a fantastic job. Uh, and then we go into the story where we see Amanda meeting with Tolliver. And, you know, Tolliver's coming down. He's like, yeah, you've been dragging your feet. The president, you know, once you to help get Senator Cray reelected, someone might think you don't want to do that. it's just like, we've been busy. Too busy. Tomorrow's election day. The only way crazy to get elected now is someone kills his opponents. And then this top of page three, it looks like. Yeah, page three, we get a close-up of Amanda's face from like her nose up to her forehead. And the right side is covered in shadows. We see the left side of her eye, and she's like, those are the president's orders? Oh, no, he doesn't know about that. He doesn't want to know about it. But here in black and white, Amanda, you are to follow my order exactly. And again, throughout these pages, Tolliver's got this smug look on his face. It makes you just want to slap him beside his head. I really like the way that both McDonald and Gafford drew and colored these pages here. It's just fantastic. Again, you get the look of smugness on his face, like his crap don't stink. And then all of a sudden here on page four, Amanda Waller just flops a folder on his desk. And he's like, what's this? Open it. You'll recognize it. You see a silent panel of Amanda watching tall as he reads the file. And he's like, oh, my God. Where'd you get this information? And <laughs> we get him here at the bottom of page four. Amanda Waller upon her smug lookout. Does not matter? I got it. You know what this means, don't you? You've been checkmated. <laughs> and, again, that's funny because, again, it's just, yeah, you know, he's been checkmated. And the little game of chess. And Checkmate is the other organization that Amanda's tied to that she used to get this information as we find out. A bit later on, I believe she mentions it. And then in here at top of page five, we're outside the window looking in. Again, Amanda there's some mug look, just sitting there and Tolliver's got his hand over his mouth like, oh my God, I am I am really screwed. <laughs> and we come back and think, what did I tell Cray? Cray's your problem. If he talks about us, It's the same as you talking about us. The results for you will be the same. He's like, maybe I should say the hell with you and go ahead with the press release. You could, if you want to pay the price. I figure price on this is 20 years hard time and your life ruined. You want to pay that price? Derek? (laughs) No Tolliver, no, just straight to his first name. Like, you know what, punk? Again, that's why I love Amanda Waller. I mean, the, the one they had running around for a while, the skinny, hot Amanda Waller, she could do this, but I don't think it would be the same as this this older, heavyweight woman just standing there, just, you know, getting in his face. She thinks she's a pushover, and she's you know what? I don't think so. If <laughs> I said that, I wasn't even reading the book, I, I turn the page, we get a page of Amanda staring at Tolliver sitting behind his desk, and she walks away, didn't think so. <laughs> Tolliver's like, what if I killed you, Waller? she stops and... Try it, Derek. Please, please try it. As she walks out, just leaving him defeat. (laughs) Because, again, she's Amanda Waller. She deals with hardened criminals all the time. This bureaucrat threatened her to kill her. She calls that Monday. (laughs) I I love the writing. Between the art and the writing, I tell you guys, this is a fantastic book. I enjoy Checkmate, but actually, as I think I've said before... Suicide Squad is the one I... That's my jam. I love this book. Uh I think, again, both John Ossinger and Luke McDonald did fantastic job on the writing, on the artwork. It just... It really works. I love it. But enough wax in their car for now. We move on to the next section where we're back at Bell Reve, Louisiana. almost couldn't say that. 12.18 p.m. CST. <laughs> I love the way they date and time these. and it just gives you a sense of continuity and when this takes place. Here we see Rick Flax cleaning his gun. He's just got a, a look on his face like he ain't creating crap for nobody. Then Eve even comes in, a.k.a. Nightshade. And she begins talking about how since Dr. Grace, that's a.k.a. Karen Grace, who died a couple issues ago during the uh, Manhunter... Story actually has been quite a while ago, during the Manhunter storyline, that she's noticed that Rick's becoming more withdrawn, and it's starting to bother her. And again, Rick's just... I, I, and again, you can't really tell because it's just written, but from what, the way she talks and the way he, I can imagine, he's just sitting there looking down at his gun, he's like, we had mission failures because I wasn't strong enough. I've just been weeding out my weaknesses. And to me, it's like he's, he's becoming more robotic, in quotes, if you will. Like he's trying to make himself more infallible but again he hasn't really talked to anyone like he should about loving, losing the love of his life Karen Grace and we can tell it's affected him but again apparently he has talked to him because when uh, Nightshade and again here on the top of page uh, eight Nightshade said they're talking to him she's looking hot but that's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Shag. Now, um, he said, look at his gun, he looks up at her. Is that what Dr. LeGreve told you? And he's like, he won't tell me anything. So I broke into his files one night. I read your personal history. I read LaGrieve's ev- evaluation. He's very upset you stopped your therapy, by the way. Very hurt. And again, they talk a little bit about his, Rick's father, Rick Flagg Sr., who was, again, leader of the original Suicide Squad, uh, which I covered a couple of the early tales. Or was that? See, I, Actually, I guess that was supposed to be this Rick Flag. It's just... Again, continuity is a little screwy, but his dad was a Rick Flag also who very much had a mind of a uh, duty comes first. And again, so I like again the dialogue between Rick and Nightshade here, Eve... As they're talking about Rick and how... And see, he says how his dad took out the war wheel. Uh, again, it's a little hokey. and Not a little hokey so much, but... The the continuity between the original stuff back in the early Brave and the Bold and... The revamped stuff here in the 80s. It, it's a little thin. It's gotta watch how it's, uh, You read it, I guess. And between Eve and Rick, it gets a little heated... She's, you know, saying that he passes guilt over surviving onto him, and he's walking the same path. And Rick's like, well, "If I am, what business of yours or anyone else's?" And she's like, you are a mission leader, and the odds are you'll take people go, you'll take people with you, and you go." And Rick's just like, "No, if I was going to do that, I'd make sure I was alone. No one else would pay the price." And she asks a very good question. She's like, well, "Why does anyone have to pay a price? Why do you?" And he just there's a silent panel here of him just kind of looking back over at him over his shoulder. Some things in life are worth more than your life. And she's like, the squad isn't one of them, Rick. The squad's all I got left, Eve. Excuse me. I've got a private mission to attend to. So again, Rick's very much of a mindset that there's something screwy going on in his head and he won't talk with the appropriate people about it. And then here on page 11, uh, we get to the cover scene, basically. We get Eve walking away from Rick, upset that Amanda's sending him on a mission in the state that he's in. And we come across June Moon, who used to be the Enchantress. And she's telling Eve that she wants her powers back. And she's like, June, I'd give it to you if I could, but the succubus is stuck in me now. And there's no way of getting rid of it. And June's like, there's one way. Your brother got rid of the Incubus. And she pulls her gun out to shoot her. And again, we got to... Uh, Security where one of the guys on the security console is alerting Murph that one of the women from the missions has uh, pulled a gun on another one. And Murph comes running down the corridor and he's like, I'm away. Send backup. Please, God, let it not be (laughs) Duchess. Because, again, he doesn't know who Duchess is yet like Amanda does. But Duchess isn't one that you want to mess with. If she's in the mind to shoot somebody, he's going to try to stop her because that's his job. But Duchess isn't the person you want to get in front of. And then we get June shooting Eve. And as she does that, she comes to her set. She's like, oh my God, what have I done? Eve! And then Murph shows up and he tells her to drop it. She turns and points her gun at him and there's a shootout. Blam, blam, blam! And Murph shoots June and she falls. And so he's calling security to get the the medical people over there. As he's doing, he's thinking, I hate this job. Because again, it's very much... He's working with some of the worst of the worst. But some of the people in the prison, like June, normally is not that bad. Eve's a nice person. You got Rick. You got Bronze Tiger. There are some decent people here. But for the most part, he's working with some of the scumbags. So it's just, it's not a great place to work. And then we got to uh, Amanda returning from her conversation with Tulliver. And again, here on the page... 14, she's walking down the hall, and all of a sudden, she gets over the the spot. A spy? A pie right in her face. I like this. So the second panel, she's standing there with a face, with a pie in her face. Next panel over, the pie pan's dropped, and she's got, like, the cream and stuff falling off her face. She's like, someone's going to pay a horrible price for this. And then we go into flow, sitting there talking with Economist, I believe it is. And they're sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, Amanda walks in. I want a towel, and then I want to see Boomerang Butt. here me Lee <laughs> And as Connell gives her a, uh, a rag, she's like, "Boomerang did this? He take leave of his mind? It like, has to be. I don't see. I didn't see the person who threw the pie, but Boomerang's but, Boomer been itching to get back at me ever since we busted his mirror master scam, which was, I believe, the last issue. And then we see Boomerang walking into the room, and he's like, "What's the ruckus?" You're making me maggoty, I swear. And he stops. Half a mo. Someone out there call me? And he leans back on the hall. And all of a sudden he gets hit in the the face with a pie. Splat! (laughs) Oh, funny. Funny. Set me up for the gag, did you, Waller? Hell with y'all. Laugh at yourself sick, you bunch of... And he storms off, pissed off, without finishing finding out why Waller called him. And again, here at the top of page uh, 16... The expressions of, like, what the heck on their faces just amuses me. Great artwork here. And, again, keep an eye on this pie issue with people getting hit in the face of the pie. This sets up a subplot that runs for, if I remember right, it runs for a little while in the book. Uh, with people getting hit in the of pie. So, so far we've had Waller and Boomerang both been hit in the face. So, Waller's like, okay, so someone else. I'll do it later. Float, what's the situation with Moon and Eden? And so we find out that when Murph shot June, it was just with mercy bullets. So she's okay. She's in with Dr. LeGrieve, the prison psych. Eve's down in OR being prepped for surgery. And it, Amanda calls up grieve and wants to find out, you know, so why did June, you know, go crazy? She wanted to be rid of the power. And LeGreve says, well, there's a difference between giving something and having it taken away. She snapped. Power is a powerful drug. She's going through withdrawals, and it's going to take time for her to understand what she's done. And so basically, he's, he's telling her that even though she didn't want the power to begin with, she wanted to get rid of it, again, as he says, she had a way to give it up at the time she would have, but to have that power taken from her, again, it's like someone on drugs or any other addiction when you're, you don't have access to whatever you're addicted to you're gonna go through withdrawals, and that's what she's kind of going through. And then she gets cut over to medical with Dr. White. I guess it's Mary White. And uh, Waller's like, "You know how's it going down there?" And uh, she's like, "Oh, she's fair, but stubborn as hell. won't let us pet her under until she's talked to you. So get your butt down here. And she goes down there and uh, Eve tells her that you know she wanted to talk to her, uh, to Amanda. He's no good go on a mission. And here on page 17, bottom of page 17, he's like, what the hell mission are you talking about? And just that look on her face like she's going to, you know, kick some butt. Because, again, Rick said he's going on a mission, but apparently she didn't authorize it. And so Mary White, the doctor, says, you yeah, know, well, that's enough. The girl's going to surgery. And, again, Amanda being Amanda says, you know what? I'm not done here, doctor. And Dr. White's like, I told you, Amanda, when I told you when I took this job, and I wasn't gonna take no back talk, and that includes none of your shenanigans, little sister. Don't you little sister me, Mary. I hired you and I can fire you. And uh, as he or as Dr. White takes Eve away, he's like, Don't you mind her, child, you're my patient. And I'll be having anyone badgering you. And Amanda's like, this is the last time I hire a family. So again, I like through the dialogue here, we find out that Amanda, I mean. We found out about Amanda's husband and her children in the Secret Origins. They've talked about a little bit here and there. How a couple of her kids died. Her husband died. We didn't find out about her other family. So we do find out that she has a sister. It appears to be an older sister. And like I said, I love this version of Amanda because she's an older lady. She's overweight. She's short. But she bullies her way through everything. When if she wants something done, she gets it done. And here's her older sister. And just like siblings... Her sister's not going to take none of Amanda's crap. <laughs> this is the last time I hire family. That's <laughs> just great. I love the dialogue that. Uh, uh, both the dialogue from Ossinger and McDonald's artwork. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I just love this book. Uh, the dialogue between everybody and the artwork for the most part is fabulous. Uh, and then we get Amanda and Flo and Conos contacting Chief. Uh, Sh- Shavosky, I should sure, mispronounce his name, we saw him a couple of issues back. And the man demands no, you know, who gave him permission to take out a jet. And he's like, he don't need any. He's a bird colonel. Qualified for the plane. It's available. He gets it. Standard operating procedure. Find out he didn't file a flight plan. And he tells she tells Flo to get an identification on the plane. If it's on the ground, I want to know where. And she walks, and we get a real close-up of her eye. And mcdonald I don't know if it's McDonald's choice to do this, or if this is Ossinger's direction, but we get a real good close-up of her eye. And she's like, I've got a bad feeling about this. And then we cut to Washington, D.C., where we see uh, Tolliver, I forgot his name almost. Tolliver talking with Crane on the phone, telling me, oh, no. I don't know, I talked to her today, and will be fine tomorrow. I need to see you now. No, not the office, someplace neutral. I know it sounds mysterious, but it's, you know, that's necessary. It has to be about 11 p.m. And as he's talking to Tolliver and tells, I'm sorry, as Tolliver's talking to Cray and telling him he needs to meet with him, he's pulling a gun out and looking at it. He's like, I'll pick you up outside the Lincoln Memorial. We need to go somewhere and talk right away. It's in the bag. And we get some thoughts where he says, you know, it'd be easier if you listen to Reason, but I know you, Senator, and this is the one makes sure you... So he's, he's going to shoot Cray to keep him quiet because he knows that Senator Cray won't... Back down from his plans. And so as he's getting it, as he's leaving, he's like thinking, I'm going to cut my losses. see about some other way of getting back at Waller. Not so he chased back to me, of course. And he opens the door, flag standing there. And Tolliver's like, what are you doing? And Rick's like, protecting the squad. He pulls his gun out and points it at Tolliver. And Tolliver's like, no, wait, you haven't talked to Waller. You haven't talked to Waller. Just blam, blam, blam. He falls to the ground bleeding. You can tell he's dead. His eyes are open. Like, goodbye, Tolliver. Cray's next. Then it'll all be over and the squad will be safe. And as walk, Rick walks out the door on the desk, we see a press release where says that Senator Cray amassed the government-sponsored metahuman villains. So I like the fact that Rick's yeah, he does his duty what he thinks is duty. He shoots our buddy here and then he turns and walks out. Really looking around. So he misses his notice. If you think about it, Tolliver was going to get rid of this notice and stop Cray from saying anything. But now that Flagg has shot him and left him for dead and this note sitting on his desk, it opens up all kinds of possibilities for next issue that... In fact, a little... No spoilers, a little uh, behind the scenes. I actually had to reread the next issue after I finished this one because I was like so interested in the story I'm like I, gotta, I can't wait till next month I'm going to read it right now but uh, <laughs> like I said in fact these are the issues I started with I think next issue was my first issue of Suicide Squad and I came back to track all these other ones so uh, this is a really interesting time this is when I started getting into Suicide Squad originally off the newsstand I say newsstand it was at a comic shop uh, Copa Comics there in Merced, California but, again, this is a great issue. I loved the build-up to this. The art is classic as always. Definitely can't recommend this enough. Uh, and I was, this is the part where I'd say that's enough for this issue. But there's more to talk about. This issue, as I mentioned, had a 14-page uh, bonus book. It was called Deadly Perspective. It was written by Larry Ganneman. Penciler was Peter Krauss. Inker Frederick Butler. Letter Helen v- v- Vesick. And the colors was Matt Webb. And again, as I said, this was bonus book number 10. As I talked about previously, the, the bonus books was a way to showcase promising up newcomers to the comic scene. And I'm not saying these people haven't done anything else, but I don't recognize any of these names offhand. So I don't know. Take that what you will. Uh, that's not commenting on the story at this point. That's just I don't recognize any of these names from anything else I've read. So. Anyways, a synopsis for this story The Bronze Tiger is sent to stop a hired assassin named Nico from killing a political leader. He studies his opponent and fights off an attack by two killers Nico sent to test him. Eventually, the Bronze Tiger and Nico face one another face-to-face. Ben wins the fight and demands that Nico breaks his contract. Nico agrees, but he promises to take his revenge at some time in the future. Dun-dun-dun. Anywho, that's the synopsis. Now on to, you know, my thoughts. We start off with what you would call the cover. These bonus books had a little cover on it. Uh, this one here says Bronze Tiger. has the creator's name on it. Bonus book number 10. And we see... Bronze Tiger fighting some looks like an Asian guy. Uh, Asian guy's got no shirt on. Got like combat jeans, wrist uh, red wristbands, and his hair's kind of spiky, military-looking kind of. Got a big over on his face, and Bronze Tiger's not doing so good on this cover fight. He's getting kicked off a uh, what is that? A balcony from like an apartment building. Anyways. Overall, I say it doesn't have bronze tiger in a good light, but it's a good book or a good cover If this is actually the cover of an actual book, I would I might pick it up uh, Moving on to the story itself first the next page we have here. It's called what's a DC bonus book? And it says you're holding a DC bonus book every month until further notice We'll be adding an extra 16 pages to an ongoing DC title and filling them with the work of promising newcomers. You get a free story we get a chance to work with people we feel will become important creators in a few years. Survey wins. Enjoy. And then we have bonus bios, and it gives a little bio about Larry, Ganim, Peter Krause, and Fred Butler. Uh, nothing really interesting. It just gives it a little about their history. It's definitely worth reading. But uh, So we start off the story itself, as I talked about. Uh, we see the bronze tiger. Someone's got him in a scope, it looks like. And all of a sudden he gets punched by this big redneck looking guy. Behind him is a, uh, a brother with a shaved head and a pipe in his hand. And again, so the story starts out with bronze tiger getting the the, the, the hex knocked, knocked, knocked out of him. And then here in the bottom corner we see uh, the guy from the cover watching him through a scope, a telescope. And the story starts off with some uh, narrative from the... Uh, the Asian guy that's watching him and we find out that he hired these guys to attack Ben aka Bronze Tiger and I like this he's uh, watching them he's his attackers are quite skilled but they have their limits I know I hired them this man has been following me for days now he was discreet but I noticed he showed promise so I devised this test I want so much for him to pass I want so much for him to be worthy as he, he's saying this or thinking this as he's watching through uh, his telescope watching Ben get the heck beat out of him and then the big you know white guy picks Ben up and throws him over the roof and the guy's like but alas a good man is hard to find and then we get Bronze Tiger standing up in the garbage chute down here the, the rubbish to the ground I'm not dead just in pain death would be more comfortable <laughs> and I'm, I'm gonna say this as I start this story I haven't talked much about Bronze Tiger I think I've mentioned him in the past but I really wish he would have been in the Suicide Squad movie. I wish he would show up on Arrow. I wish that they would actually use Bronze Tiger. Uh, we get a lot of these movies and shows changing the race of characters because they want more ethnic characters. Uh, the DC books have a, a good, not about good, but they have a, they have a range of ethnic characters to begin with. Use some of them. Bronze Tiger is a great character, a great martial artist. His original costume you couldn't do on TV. The big tiger head looks too hokey, but. This current costume he's got right now, uh, it's a orangish bodysuit with a uh, camouflage, like tiger-looking belt and loops set up, <clears throat> where it's like big X crosses chest and, re- and his gloves, got a little face makeup on. I, I think Bronze Tiger were good in, in live action, either movies or TV, but what do I know? Anyway, so Bronze Tiger gets up and, and goes off to look at his wounds. Meanwhile, we get Mr. Asian Guy, again, doing some more narrative. Again, he's in some green, uh, I don't know what they're called, karate pants or whatever, shirtless. And he's beating up on the two guys that just took out Bronze Tiger. And he's like, he's there talking, He's, it's like, maybe it's like a journal or something, because it's not him saying it it's it's thoughts so Uh, so he's going to mourn their passing he'll honor their spirits he dispatched these men to kill the costumed man yet I know he still lives I have seen him since these men my prayer are not samurai there are no samurai left on this earth how I wish things were and so he he beats these guys until they're dead he sits there after he's done off panel we see the hand of the black guy and the feet of him shooting the white guy as he just sits there in uh, like the lotus position or whatever. His feet curled up and his hands up. And I think it's called the lotus position if I'm not mistaken. And he talks about how he's a warrior. And he you know he, he kills but there's no real challenge anymore. And that's what he's looking for. And he thought Ben might be the challenge he needs. And I like this here at the top of the page uh, for the story. We're watching this Asian guy, which we haven't got his name yet. So, well, I guess I've already blown that by the synopsis. Uh, make uh, Nico. But uh, we behind Nico's shoulder, out his window, we see a figure in the shadows on the roof, the moon behind him. And I like this, this next three panels here. We get a closer and closer shot until we see a darkened Bronze Tiger sitting there just watching Nico as he sits there in the Lotus position. And then we cut back to Bronze Tiger talking. Uh, Actually this one he's Ben Turner because he's in street clothes talking with Amanda Waller and she's given him some photos of a guy called Juli Santiago. and she says that he's a dead man. here's the reason why. and then she shows a picture of our Asian guys from earlier. and she says this is Nico, not a good picture, but the best we have. whened says he's an assassin. She's like, the best in the world. No offense. Because again, Ben's used to Ben's, Ben used to work for the uh, League of Assassins, if I'm not mistaken, until he joined the side of the Angels. And so Ben's like, what, you mean to stop him? Because she says that uh, Nico's been hired to kill the Santiago guy. And here, so she gives him, Ben his mission, tells him this. They want, there's a second man that he's going to kill, a guy called DeMarco. Who's a drug kingpin for 11 years and she tells him that they want Nico to take DeMarco out but stop him before he gets to Santiago and Ben's like eh, quite a double standard I can live with you can and so and again this is one thing I like about Amanda a lot of people picture Amanda in fact that's what they did in the Suicide Squad movie which I've complained about before and I'll probably complain about again they put her in the role of kind of a villain I mean there And again, spoilers for the Suicide Squad movie, but I've talked about this and it's been out for a year or so, so spoilers again. Uh, they had her killer support staff, which to me, puts her in a villainous role, which isn't Amanda. Uh, she will kill people if needs be. Needs be? If need be. But she's not going to kill her support staff because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or at least I don't think so. I've seen nothing in the comic rereading the, at this point that would make me think that. So... Uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I, I like this Amanda. She, again, she's firm, she's tough, she does what needs to be done. She, she could be borderline villainish. Uh, she does what needs, she does things for the right reasons, maybe the wrong way, but she's not a villain. Like I say, she, she doesn't mind this, you know, drug dealer being killed, but she wants to save the guy that's considered a good guy. And like Ben's like, so you want me to incapacitate him? I'd like you to kill him. I'll sell for an that compensation. And just ben, <laughs> like, hmm, okay. And then we cut back to the... That was a flashback. Again, you don't read really anything that... Actually, I guess you do. It's I, I, I didn't pay attention to that, but well... Just one of them is. I'm talking out loud to myself, to you guys. Uh, so again, this was a flashback, but we don't really g- get that. Um... And again, I started to change my mind because at one point in the comics, a lot of times in flashbacks, they would round the panels. And I went back to page five and looked. The last panel is rounded, but everything else is squared. So there's no real... Except for maybe that little rounded corners to uh, let you know that we're going back to present time. But anyway, so we see Ben again watching Nico from the window. And Ben's just doing some thoughts here to himself about how he's a samurai... And again, Ben, if you don't know, aren't familiar with him, he's a very smart guy. He's a skilled fighter, skilled killer, if you will. And so Ben's just thinking about how best to get him. And then here on page seven, we see, uh, what was his name, DeMarco on a boat, fishing, and as he's fishing, his line gets cut. Hey, who the hell? And Nico comes up out of the water and shoots him with a spear gun and just kills him right away. And the one, I'm going to... Call complaint I guess a question I have is that as Demarco's reeling that fish and he's sitting there you know talking to himself he's the past four hours I've been playing him reeling him in letting him run and reeling him in again and after Nico comes up out of the water and shoots as he shoots him with a spear gun he's like reeling him in letting him run he's all mine basically saying the same thing that Demarco said I, I don't know if he was underwater. How did he hear this? How did he know Demarco was saying this? And again, it's not a big issue, but it is just a little minor nitpick. And then we get Ron Tiger again outside of the building, and he gets a little more. We get a little narrative as he's thinking about Demarco's boat was being twelve miles offshore with limited vis on a day with limited visibility. So he tells us that basically Nico had to swim at least seven miles underwater to make that hit. Seven miles out, seven miles back. So he's thinking Nico should be tired, and it should give him a little bit of an advantage at this point. And again, I like here at the bottom of page eight, he comes sneaking in the window, and all of a sudden the lights turn on. He turns like, "Oh, crap!" And Nico, surprise. And again, they have a little conversation. Nico's yell, you know, "Does the villainous monologue? I can't tell happy I'm. I can't tell you how happy I am to see you. For a moment, I thought you actually died last night. You've a masterful act, I must say." Had to hurt. You handle pain so well. And they say he noticed him on the roof. And he suspects that he saw him take care of DeMarco also. He's like, Who are you? Who do you serve? He said, like, Call me Bronze Tiger. I serve those who wish Jules Santiago long life. Santiago's fate is sealed. I've accepted his contract. To break the contract, you have to break me. And so again, they do a little fighting. And as they're fighting, Nico's thinking about how good Ben is. Because he said earlier, he wants Ben to be a good fighter because he hasn't had a good fight in a long time. So, not only matter is he willing to fight Ben, he kills people, but he he doesn't want the easy kill. He wants to be not entertained, but to be a uh, challenged, which he hasn't done in a while. And as he's thinking, you know, they he's facing a skill challenge. he's skate try that again, kids. He says he's facing a true, uh, facing a skilled challenger. Wow, hard to get that out. Meanwhile, we get Ben's like, it always comes down to this. Showdown, it takes all. Sometimes I wonder why we even bother strategy. Again, <laughs> because yeah, a lot of times, especially in superhero comics, it comes down to the fight, fight, punch, punch. And you have to wonder how much uh, of that Ben's thinking is commentary on comics in general. Because a lot of time, comics, you know, the plot of stories, the good guys try to take a way to stop the bad guys. And as Ben says, it usually comes down to fisticuffs. So... It's an interesting thought. an interesting... Is he just Ben saying this? Or is this the writer's thought he's petting through Ben? And then here on page 10, uh, they're fighting on the roof, right on the roof with the the fire escape. And Nico pulls one of the rusty bars out. And he says, you know, the fire escape railing is rusty enough, fatigued fatigued enough for me to do this. And he clocks bronze tiger upside the head with the pipe and the pole. And uh, Ben's like thinking... Okay, Batman beat me twice. And Richard Dragon held his own with me a few times. And then of course there's Nico. I think my saying, just dropped down to number four. <laughs> so I, I love the commentary running through Ben's mind as he's fighting this unknown challenger, <laughs> an unknown gun. Not unknown. Ben knows him, of course, but we, as the combo readers, is our first time seeing him. But then apparently he gets tired of the fight because he pulls a gun out to shoot Ben. Ti- ben Tiger, Bronze Tiger, and he's like. Bronze Tiger, you have given me more pleasure tonight than anyone I've ever fought. Your most honorable soul, I respect for you. So make your death as swift as possible. And then Bronze Tiger, again, not being an actual slouch, he kicks Nico in the arm, makes a miss with the gun. And then he picks up the gun, he's like, I hate them, but I don't mind using them. He's like, Your life is mine. And Nico's like, in it, but you're right. And he says he wants to trade it. His Nico's life for the life of Jules Santiago. And again, he knows from the way the Nico's been talking he's a samurai. He believes in the samurai way. So he basically uses the fact that you know, he could have killed him right now to trade for the life of Jules Santiago. And he's like, You're using my samurai code of honor against me, are you? And he's like, You will in no way cause harm to Jules Santiago, even indirectly. And then so Braun Steiger tosses the gun over the side and leaves. And he's like, that I leave you on your honor. Survive if you can. He's like, I will honor my oath, though the men I contracted with will seek their revenge against me. But our duel is not over. We will meet again. And our fight will be more wonderful because I will be the victor. I shall not rest until I dance on your grave. And Bronze Tigers lead, he's like, join the club. I, I love the, the dialogue there, the closing dialogue. It's very, very comic booky. He's monologuing his heart out. Overall, I thought the artwork was pretty good on it. The story was decent. Maybe not fantastic, but it was a good story. And while I was going over this, I looked up the writer, Larry Ginnam. And yeah, there's a reason I don't recognize him. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at DC Indexes. Does, 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 stutter that one out. DCindexes.com, Larry's got two credits uh, one for this, ty- this story here, and then a Dragonlance issue 21, he wrote. In 1990, which came out two years after this story. So Larry Geddam didn't really do much in comics. Again, I'm we'll going look at Peter Klaus, see what he's done. Peter Klaus has done a bit more. He's done some Grimjack, Sable, Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, Adventures of Superboy, an issue. An issue of Superman, an Adventures of Superman. I don't recognize it offhand. Issue 69 of Superman, and 492 of. That was during the Triangle era. Huh. Okay, yeah, Peter Krause. So I, I have seen some of Peter Krause's artwork and some Superman stories. He also did the Metropolis SCU For Mini miniseries. Oh, okay. And he also did the Power of Shazam series from 1995, written by Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway. Okay, so yeah, so I am familiar with this artist after all, and he's actually a really good artist. As I enjoyed this story here, looking at it. He did the Power Shazam series uh, 41 issues it looks like. That was really good. So he actually had the, the uh, writer didn't do anything really but the penciler went on to do some good work. Right on. And the inker finally uh, Frederick Butler. He did this story. He did a Wonder Woman story. Secret Origins 40 of Kongorilla. And then Spectre issue 30. So he's only done a couple other books. He hasn't done much in the industry either. So out of these three newcomers... The only one that really did anything uh, or kept going on was the penciler. It was good. He did a good job. And then looking at, I keep looking while I'm here, the letter Helen Vasek. Again, she's new on the scene. Again, she did some New Talent Showcase in the 80s, 84. 14 issues of New Talent Showcase. So, actually, she wasn't brand new. She's done quite a bit of things before this. This is quite down on our list. So, she's not new to the comic world. She's been around as a letter. And the colorist, Matt Webb, uh, again, he's done some stuff. His first issue was Power of the Atom number 4, which came out in 88, which uh, eventually I will be talking about over on my Head Speaks podcast at some point. He did an issue of The Flash. This was his third work for DC. He did some Detective Comics, Wonder Woman, Gamma Raiders, some D&D stuff. He did a lot of D&D books, it looks like. He worked on John Burns, Next Man. So again, he, he's not a either. He's got quite a bit of work. Uh, according to Mike, the last thing he's got listed for the guy is 2012. He did X-Factor 230. He did a lot of work for DC and Marvel over the years. So, the the like I say, The Penciler... Went on to do some good stuff. The letter had already been the business. And the colorist had started the business already and went on to do a lot of stuff also. So, I don't know about Larry, the writer, and the pencil or inker why they didn't continue. But overall, I thought this was a good story. It was a good little bonus book. Good little 14-page story. Spotlighted the seldom used, often overlooked bronze tiger. But you know what? That's going to be it. Again, sorry for the delays between episodes. I am working. I know I've been saying that, but I am working on trying to get that resolved. Uh, Thank you for those that are buried with me and are still with me. I appreciate you listening. Uh, Leave me some feedback. Send me an email. What do you guys think about this episode? What do you guys think about this book, these writers, uh, the bonus book? Let me know. If you guys have read this, give me your thoughts. You can either email me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com. You can go to the website, taskforcex.headspeaks.com. Or go to the Facebook page, look for Task Force X on uh, Facebook, and leave me a message. Let me know what you guys think. <laughs> Anyways, until next month, uh, when we're going to be covering... What are we covering next month? Looking at my schedule, next month in Task Force X 33, we should be covering checkmate number... Actually, according to my notes here, uh, we got a double dose of checkmate next time. Oh, okay. I would look at the title of the episode. Next month... The invasion hits checkmate. The invasion was a crossover series from DC Comics. I talked about it a little bit over on my Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour podcast. I covered that for three months. I covered the Invasion main series and the Starman Manhunter Flash and a Firestorm book. Cover the books that tie directly into it. And starred by characters. Uh, Power of the Atom number nine. So I spent three months over there. Also, over on the Fire and Water podcast network, uh, Cisco and Boss have an entire podcast devoted to Invasion, so definitely check them out. In fact, I may slip a promo of them either here or probably next time. Anyways, I've talked enough for today. I uh, just haven't talked to you guys in a while, so I wanted to get this out there. Again, I hope you guys had a happy holidays, and uh, we'll see you soon. Until next time, squad mates dismissed. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just add Crazy the Joker. (laughs) Well, I try Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at HeadSpeaks.com. H-e-a-d-s-p-e-a-k-s.com. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and HeadSpeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at HeadSpeaks.com under HeadCasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to X at HeadSpeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at X at HeadSpeaks.com. And I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at Task Force X. And also on Google Plus, you can look for Task Force X under people and pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. (laughs) Motherfucker. Well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled podcast from your friendly neighborhood Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. Hey! Sí.